0: Hello and thanks for your company here on Search for Truth. Our series is called Once Saved, Always Saved. It's uh, been a 10-week series and this is the final study in uh, the 10 weeks. Over the last nine weeks Brian has been showing from Bible evidence that whilst star Christian salvation, that is, our eternal life in Christ, is absolutely secure. There are some Bible verses which perhaps still need some more explanation. Anyway, here's Brian to tell us more. Thanks, John.
1: As a final contribution to this series on the eternal security of our salvation in Christ, I'd like to ask a question. If the gift of life, once given, doesn't last forever, then must we not say that it was never truly eternal life in the first place? Which would make it a contradiction in terms, wouldn't it? After all, the Bible in Romans 6 and verse 23 says, the free gift of God is eternal life, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Having now viewed this matter of our secure status in Christ from as many angles as we have by now, I hope we've really come to be assured by the strength of the case against such a thing as falling away from salvation, as it's taught by some. It's overwhelmingly the Bible's teaching that once saved from the penalty of our sins through believing in Christ, we are always saved. Perhaps we should end our series. By examining another couple of difficult verses, like 1 John 3 and verse 15, and Hebrews 6 verse 6 again. They're about the most common verses which trouble people on this issue. Before we tackle them, we've ensured that we've explored the New Testament's clear, overall teaching on the relevant issue, that is, the security of our salvation. This was to follow our own counsel, which was that we need to look at difficult verses in the light of easier, clearer ones. Never vice versa. We need to understand things in the widest context possible. So now, let's take that reading from John first. 1 John 3 and from verse 10. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know Love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. There are various wrong views about what these verses mean. For example, a true Christian cannot murder or even hate his brother, and no murderer can be saved. The first statement is simply not true to experience, and the latter is proved wrong by the dying thief who was crucified alongside Jesus. The best way to understand the meaning of the verse which says no murderer has eternal life abiding in him is to read it within the overall context of John's first letter. What was the Apostle John's aim in writing that letter? It was to help believers on the Lord Jesus know they were indeed saved. You can look up 1 John 5 and verse 13 where he says that he's writing so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that's his stated purpose it wasn't about how to become a Christian. We've already seen that works are not the basis of becoming a Christian and John is here talking about works that we need to be doing, need to be doing if we wish to avoid doubting our salvation. We cannot lose our salvation but we can lose our confidence, we can lose our assurance of salvation And the Apostle John doesn't even want us to do that. He gives us three ways whereby we can know that we are saved. First of all, by maintaining our faith convictions, by keeping on believing our beliefs. And secondly, by obeying God's word and doing what's right. He repeats that also time and again in his letter. And thirdly, he says, it's by loving others that you maintain an assurance of your salvation. The last point refers to John saying that by loving others we give evidence that we are Christians and equally that by hating others we give evidence which denies that we are Christians because hating others is typically or characteristically non-Christian behaviour, behaviour therefore which is incongruous for a believer. None of which means that Christians aren't capable of hating Nor are non Christians incapable of loving. Not all followers of Christ obey God's word and do what's right by any means. But the point is this. If we are a Christian and wish to live with a level of assurance that we are a Christian, then that's what we should be doing. I mean loving our brothers and doing what the Lord has commanded us. If we hate our brother, this will give us no reassurance at all that we are a Christian, for that was what typified the way of Cain, the way of the wicked. While someone is abiding in Christ, and Christ's words are abiding in them, that person will not be found hating their brothers. Therefore, John is not saying that a believer who subsequently commits murder loses his or her salvation, for that was not his point at all. Remember, he's saying Act consistently with your salvation and your confidence will be maintained. Act contrary to what it means to be a believer and you'll have no reassurance of salvation. Now I'd like us to have a look at Hebrews chapter 6, where we find the expression to fall away. But the key question is, from what? Let's refresh our memory of this difficult passage. Hebrews 6 verse 4 says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls in it, and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it's also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. i spoke spoken previously about the true meaning of falling away in this context within the Hebrews' letter. However, since this matter of falling away tends to cause so much confusion in the minds of sincere believers on the Lord Jesus, and since the letter to the Hebrews is often used to support a teaching it was never intended to give, I would like to refer you to a helpful treatment of this topic, one given by a previous contributor to the Search for Truth radio programmes. This is what he said. And so we come in verses 4 to 8 of chapter 6 of this letter to the Hebrews We come here to one of the solemn warning passages of Hebrews. We must be in no doubt that those seen here at great spiritual risk are true believers, born-again persons, who have become the target of Satan's attack. For we read, It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the powers of the age to come if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Clearly, they were born-again people, so what might they fall away from? An illustration from nature follows, which provides an explanation. Sometimes, when rain falls on the earth, instead of yielding useful, nourishing plants, reflecting God's blessing, it brings forth thorns and briars, near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. The words, whose end is to be burned, must have brought the readers of this letter up sharply. As with ourselves, it must have led them to ponder the meaning of such strong statements. We are dealing here with the horrifying possibility of believers openly and aggressively repudiating their faith and profession, so that they exclude themselves from the possibility of repentance. There is no prospect for them but inevitable divine judgment. Is this the judgment of hell, as some might be inclined to assume, because of the analogy of the burning of the worthless thorns and briars? No, it is the burning of what the land produces, not of the land itself. So that illustration helps us understand that it's what's produced in a Christian's life that may be burned, that is, his works, and not the believer himself. So the security of our salvation is not compromised here. We are safe in the Lord's keeping. We can also ask, do we have any other guidance in the New Testament which explains the fearful thought of destruction by burning? Yes, indeed. For in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we have a description of building for God in a believer's life, building on the foundation of Jesus Christ a life of service, the value of which may vary widely. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay and stubble are all mentioned. The descending order of value becomes steeper and steeper until we arrive at stubble in all its worthlessness. The analogy is with the life of a person whose service is described like this. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so us through fire. That brings us back to the topic of rewards – which we've covered earlier in our series. If you need a reminder of what we said then, do write in for our booklet, which will contain all the material it has been in this series, a series which we've now completed on our security in Christ.
0: Thanks Brian for your study today and for the whole series. If you've been following this series you'll have seen that we can never lose our eternal life but we may lose our reward and our fight against temptation. Him today helps us to overcome. It says so let us learn how to serve and in our lives enthrone him. Each other's needs to prefer for it is Christ we're serving. This is our God the Servant King. He calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the Servant King. Now, it's your last chance to send for the free transcript booklet for this 10-part series, so if you'd like one or several for group study, or to pass on to friends, then ask for the title, Once Saved, Always Saved, and you can contact us by email or by post, and here's the address. Search for Truth, P.O Box 70115, Chilomani Blantyre, Malawi, and the email address is sft at info You can also find uh, some, a selection of past programmes and some other helpful material on our website. Uh, if you'd like to do that, then go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. So, many thanks once again for your company. Please join us for the start of a new series, God willing, next week, if you can. Until then, it's our very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye for now, and may God richly bless you.
2: So let us learn how to sing. Say-